Okay, okay. Uh, we are back for our final episode of From the Fabricator for 2022. And as I have done in the past, the last episode is dedicated to one single major influencer in our world. Last year, it was Mr. Don Freeze of the Freeze Foundation. This year, I am absolutely tickled and honored to have Steve Widener, uh, President and Head of Architectural and Solar Glass at North America for NSG Pilkington. Steve, thank you so much for joining me. This is just absolutely awesome. Well, Max, it's an honor and a pleasure for me to be here with you this morning. Um, I, I think you're taking some uh, liberties there. I don't know about major influencer, but <laughs> I just try to stay out of everyone's way. Um, it, well, you've you, known you, me for a long, long time yeah. there, Max. <laughs> I, I, I have, and that's why I have you on the pedestal. I mean, uh, I, I again, I consider you... Uh, you know, you're one of the, the people that really make our engine go in our industry. And I know you don't like to take a lot of that credit because you do have an incredible team and we're going to talk about them too. Uh, but but you're an important player in the, in this world. And I've always been curious because, you know, I've known you a long time, but I really don't We've know your past. You know, yeah. I've known you for more than 30 years, but I don't know, you know, where you, you know, kind of, you know, worked your way through. I knew you were from, you know, the Pennsylvania area because we have a shared love for the Steelers and the and Pittsburgh sports right. teams. But I don't know your past. So this is a great opportunity when I was sitting down to write the questions out. I'm like, holy crap, I don't I don't know. So I can ask. So talk a bit of where Steve Widener grew up and how yeah. you came to be. Yeah, Max, we, we have known each other for, I think, well over 30 years. Yes. It's yes. uh you know, I, I know we uh, were both from Pittsburgh guys, mm -hmm. and uh, I started in the industry in, in 1980. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm a North Sider okay. uh, from Pittsburgh, as, as you well know. And uh, and Pittsburgh for me, uh, you know, has always been home. It's It was a fabulous place for me to grow up. Um, growing up in, in the, as a little kid, I was always like the little guy who was shoveling snow and cutting people's grass and stuff like that. And, uh, and then in, uh, in the seventies with, you know, the Steelers and the pirates, you know, the pirates winning in 71 and again in 79 and then yep. the Steelers went several Super Bowls. Um, it was a really a fantastic place to uh, grow up before I went to, uh, to college. So, um, went, went to school and, uh, and, and then when I graduated in 1980, started working for PPG industries, Okay. Um, what used to be PPG Industries right. and, a, and a little distribution operation in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, of all places out wow. there near, near Hershey. I know 1980. It's a, uh, it's a long time ago. So I'm, yeah. I've been in the business now almost 43 years and uh, it was a fabulous place for me to start back then because the manager I had, Jim Dukes, I don't know okay. if I'm allowed to say anybody's name, but I still remember his name. I, I give him a lot of credit. Yeah. Because uh, he, you know, coming out of college, everybody, well, at least me, you know, you, you think uh, you're you're God, and uh, you know, you know everything. And this guy really did a fabulous job. He um, put me uh, to work doing literally everything. So I was cutting glass, I was loading trucks, unloading trucks, delivering glass, um, taking orders on the phone, stocking the warehouse. It was a little AGR auto auto glass replacement uh, distribution plant and flat glass. So, um, you know, cutting laminated glass, uh, edging glass, drilling holes, little, you know, things like that. And so for me, early in my career, getting my hands on glass, it was just yeah. a fabulous yeah. experience. And then also they carried uh, a lot of sundry products. So 
learned all about, you know, cutting wheels and uh, sealants and, and things like that. So literally got involved, um, you know, right out of the gate with my hands on, on, on the product directly. And after a year, um, I was transferred down to Baltimore, Maryland. Oh, wow. And okay. had a, uh, yeah, tempering IGU operation. Right. That's been for people who don't know, PPG at one time was a fabricator that had little places that that did tempering and insulating. Yes. Right. Exactly. And um, again, this was a fabulous learning experience for me because I volunteered, even though I was you know, technically on the management side and it was a union shop. Um, yep. I, I volunteered to uh, go on the floor and do a lot of the uh, fabrication. I wanted to you know, at the time when they were making IGUs, they were, you know, handgunning the IGUs. Back then, they didn't have a, you know, there was no such thing as automated uh, no. insulating class systems. And that was and, an art, too. Uh, the handgunning was an art. Uh, you had to be really uh, good at that. It is, Max. And, uh, yeah. you know, these guys were fabulous. They, they'd show me the ropes and teach me little tricks. And, and they had a tempering furnace at this location which was actually a vertical furnace. Um, oh, wow. You probably don't see these around anymore, but yeah. they had these uh, giant, I call them giant toaster ovens that uh, they were tong, tong tempering furnaces, which we don't see anymore. And so you'd, uh, you'd cut a piece of glass and actually hang these glass on these little hooks, these little mm -hmm. tongs. And it would go in one end of this, you know, big giant toaster and get heated up and then go into the quench and then uh, be quenched and come up. And actually, when it was hung like that, um, the glass would stretch. And so there was a formula and a little algorithm that based on the thickness of the glass and the weight of the glass and the length. So you would actually cut the glass a little shorter than what you'd want it to end up after tempering. Wow. And so there was, you know, kind of a little neat little science to that. And uh, I remember actually going in and having to clean that out, you know, uh, once. So I figured like after six months or so, some glass breaks inside yeah. and there was a little trap door and you had to crawl through this trap door and uh, take a pry bar in there. And so you're inside this, this toaster oven. It's not much wider than I am. And you had to be very careful because of all the little heating elements and refractories that as you're, you know, trying to break up this, this glob of glass that had, you know, kind of congealed down at the bottom mm -hmm. of the uh, tempering furnace, you know, trying to smash that up and, and shovel the little pieces out the little trap door. It was hot. It was stinky. It was dirty. Wow. But you didn't want to hit the uh, heating elements in the refractories and break the inside of this giant toaster oven. So, you know, little stupid things like that. But, um, you know, fabulous learning experience. Very much. And, very uh, much so. Yeah. Then I went into um, there was a, they had a, a division that actually erected high rise office buildings. And so I was transferred to. Um, Philadelphia and uh, built some big bank buildings in uh, Wilmington, Delaware, Philadelphia, uh, Newark, New Jersey, and, and several different other places. And that was the go-go years of, uh, of the 1980s. And, and then uh, they decided to close that division. And so I had a uh, wife and, and three young uh, children at the time. Um, actually, two young children. Um, I do have three now. And mm -hmm. um, so anyway, um, I needed to feed the family. And yep. so I, I called up Libby Owens Ford at the time. Right. And uh, they offered me a job. And so I, you know, started peddling glass for um, for LOF and then moved through the, the ranks uh, with, with LOF in marketing and at a float line and and then eventually uh, back into sales. And um, and now here I am 40, you know, almost 43 years later and 
uh, I'm the old guy where, you know, I, I woke up one day, I was the youngest guy in the industry. And now I looked in the mirror this morning. I'm one of the old guys in the industry. So it's been a good ride, Max. Yeah. You, very... you, you look, you look good. So that's all that matters. And, and, uh, well, I, I pulled I, my hair for you today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You look good. I, I like it. And, uh, I had no, I actually did not know you were one of the uh, PPG guys. Cause it is funny how many, you know, PPG was a training ground for so many people right. in this industry. John Wheaton right. started there. So many people, you know, got their, you know, cut their teeth at PPG uh, back way back in the day. Um, right. and so I, I did not like know either, that. You, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was either PPG or LOF at the at the right. time because they both had, um, like I said, mentioned earlier, um, fabrication locations around around the uh, the country. Um, you know, before. Uh, before the independents uh, became strong and yeah. started buying um, their own tempering furnaces and IGUs and and uh, were a little bit more efficient and effective in the regional markets and the local markets and and consequently that's uh, when you know PPG and, and LOF kind of divested themselves from from the fabrication side of the business. Yeah, yeah. As, as the world yeah. changed and that, and that brings me into nicely into my next question is that the changes in these forty three years that you've seen. Uh, you know, some, some have been really good and some maybe not as good. What, what do you think? What's, what's the biggest thing that you've seen uh, change in your, uh, your career path? Yeah, well, that's a, that's an excellent question, uh, Max. So, you know, there've been changes on uh, technology, just changes in the glass products. Um, if, if you think about the way glass was used back in, you know, when I started in 1980, there was still a disproportionately large percentage of glass was glazed monolithically. Right. In in residential applications and or commercial applications. And, you know, we had the uh, the energy crisis in the 70s. You were probably still a little guy, you know, crawling around in diapers <laughs> and stuff. You might not remember that, but remember the queues at the uh, gas station. I do. The, even in odd okay. days, even in odd days, <laughs> you can go get gas. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. And, and so glass at the time was considered to be a very inefficient um, energy uh, product, uh, building material from an energy standpoint. It was basically a, a heat sink. So um, the industry at the time had a really you know bad reputation that the architectural community was saying, hey, how can we um, avoid using glass? So like any industry, I think we, we as an industry did a fantastic job um, with uh, the R&D and, and trying to develop more efficient um, energy efficient uh, technology. So insulating glass started to take off. Right. Um, you had coatings started to be developed um, and, you know, both from highly reflective coatings to address the uh, solar control, mm -hmm. as well as then the eventual um, introduction of low E coatings in the mid 80s to address thermal control. And so we've seen, a, you know, going from monolithic glass to insulating glass to coatings um, and very efficient coatings, you know, um, spectrally selective coatings for different types of applications. And so that was that was, I think, really one thing. But then you also look at glass um, equipment technology. Yes. How is glass fabricated? So, you know, when 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 I first started, I mentioned earlier about uh, insulating glass that was, you know, just coming out. So it was all hand gunned at the time or, or kind of like putty, you know, sealed. People would, you know, get a trowel full of uh, sealant and and trial the, uh, the, the, um, the, the secondary seal or even the primary seal. And um, so we've gone from, you know, hand uh, fabrication 
to, you know, now we have these uh, tremendously efficient automated lines uh, that can do pretty much anything. I, I mentioned the uh, vertical tempering yeah. uh, machine uh, furnace that where I started, you know, to now you have these, um, you know, fantastic, uh, you know, uh, flat uh tempering furnaces, um, you know, horizontal lines and, and bending, tempering, all this good stuff. Even at the float line, um, even though the floats haven't changed, um, you know, they, they look the same uh, as they did back in the 80s. They're much, much more energy efficient. And the longevity of the furnaces are much uh, longer, whereas, you know, furnaces back in the 1980s would have to be repaired every six to eight years. Now, it's not uncommon to see a float line lasting 18 to 20 years. That's huge. Um, so there have been a lot of tremendous um, changes in technology, both at the fabrication and at the, you know, primary glass manufacturing level. And then even in the installation level, you know, when, when, when I started in the installation business, it was all stick glazing. Right. You know, so you erect the metal, you know, you'd put up the vertical mullions, then you'd put in the horizontals and then you stick a piece of glass in it. And so now you have a lot of these, um, you know, pre-glazed um, unitized walls yep. that, uh, you know, arrive on a flatbed and they hang, you know, two or three floors at, at any one time. And so there have been tremendous changes in, in virtually, you know, the entire spectrum of, of how we operate as an industry. And even Max, you know, think about just the administrative side of the business. When when I started orders at the float line, you'd get in the mail. It yes. would come uh, in yes. the mail and then you'd enter it into the system and uh, the glass would show up maybe two or three weeks later at the uh, customer's location. You know, now orders are electronically submitted. Um, you know, they're entered immediately if they have to go through, a, you, know, you know, one of our customer service people to enter them for them. Um, and then the glass can show up literally, you know, tomorrow or even sometimes same day, um, which is, you know, fantastic. And and then, you know, we didn't have computers, personal computers. So there were no right. spreadsheets, no PowerPoints, none of that good stuff. No, uh, no cell phones. I remember early in the days, Max, you'll get a kick out of this as, you know, sales guys. Um, we would know every single payphone in, in yep. whatever city you were having to go to. So there'd be, you know, queues of cars waiting for a payphone, um, you know, to, to call in for your messages. Everybody called into their you know offices and, and you had these ridiculously long um, numbers that uh, prepaid numbers. So you dial, dial your office number, <laughs> right. you have to type in, you know, 15 digit uh, prepaid uh, certification number just to call in for your messages and any wait there um, and, and make, you know, five or 10 different calls. So the efficiency and the productivity of um, business systems are, you know, it's just astronomical, the difference between even 1980 to where we are here in the uh, 2020. So it's it, fantastic. It, it really is. Tremendous change. Yeah. Sometimes really the technology I think are, is really not not all that beneficial like i hate microsoft teams i know you <laughs> and i are on a zoom call right yeah you know people anymore they populate calendars so there's meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting and it's difficult to uh find time to actually although meetings are important it's it's difficult to find time to actually uh you know do some actual work and and make make some progress but um yeah, anyway, I, so I would I would agree. Been very beneficial, but not always, not always best. Yeah. yeah, the the cell the cell phone has been been great a blessing in a lot of ways, but a curse in a lot of ways because people can always yeah. you know you you you're always connected, always connected, and you, you sometimes can't get away from it. And then uh, 
I laugh over the tong tempering. I, I remember the first time my brother, Steve, who you know very well, showed me a piece of tempered that had tong marks in it. And, right. and, and, you know, we had a flat tempering oven uh, and, you know, I, I was like, well, this, this piece would have to be rejected. There's tong marks in it. I mean, look at the, it was, it would protrude. I mean, you know, in, in this day and age, uh, I, I would never, people would lose their mind if they got a piece of glass with marks like that right. in it. But that was the standard back then. That was the standard. And yeah. you, you try to glaze the uh, tong marks in the uh, top channel. So yep. it was hidden. That wasn't always the case. Sometimes if the glass was cut a little bit short and didn't stretch enough, the tong marks would be visible across the top of the uh, of, of the light of glass. Yep. But, yep. Uh, it, technology it, it, certainly it, has advanced from from 1980. It sure has. Yeah. It, it sure has. Yeah. Now, uh, you since you have been around, and the one thing I think that is always been a battle, and I think we address it, you know, with technology is our respect outside of our industry. You know, the respect in the architectural community, the respect in the building, uh, you know, building product industry uh, in, in the GCs and so on. And it seems like we're always fighting a battle uh, with regards yeah. to people respecting the glass world. Uh, curious. I mean, what what can you know, you've seen it all. You've seen where we've come from. What can we keep doing to get, you know, to gain more respect? Because we we are, you know, innovating and we're going to talk about the products like, like I saw with you in Germany. We, we are innovating. We are making moves. We are improving energy. But yet it always still feels like we are chasing our tails out there. What, what can we do to get better? Right. Yeah, that's that's an excellent question, Max. And, and I think you're absolutely correct. I don't believe our industry's really been. Um, uh recognized for the value that we that we create um if you think of the different ways that glass can be used and glass is such a it's such a unique material and can be used in you know myriad number of different ways different applications it can be formed it can be shaped um you know the the, the aesthetics of glass are just tremendous and and so you know I, I'm a glass geek. I I just absolutely love glass. I tell people glass runs in my veins. And you know my kids when I was growing up they used to hate to, you know I had three daughters and and as a uh, single father raising three daughters for a long time, I'd take them to the mall and 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 I'd be looking at the bottom of the each of the lights of glass to oh, see yeah. who made me you know, what storefront or whatever. And then embarrassed, uh, you know, my kids, I said, dad, you know, you're embarrassing me. Don't, don't stand near me and all that good stuff. So anyway, um, just think of all the unique things that are being developed in our industry and have been developed in our industry, all these coatings, um, different shapes that we can do, um, different applications. I think it's just absolutely, um, it's it's a shame that we as an industry aren't recognized for all the different yeah. value that we create, um, both for, from a, a performance and from an aesthetic uh, standpoint. And um, there are so many different com uh, companies out there uh, at the fabricator level, at the float level, at the installation level, who are doing tremendously um, unique, challenging uh, things. And, um, and but unfortunately, we don't we don't. Uh, for whatever reason, we're not recognized for all these different values that we're creating. I think some of the um, some of the architects out there, I think Gene Gang in, in Chicago and several other cutting edge architects recognize the value that glass creates. But but as a general statement, you know, it's one of these things that maybe it's so ubiquitous that we use glass so often as individuals in society. And I tell people that every day, my friends, um, 
and, and you and I and everybody in the world, we use glass hundreds of times every single day from yeah. the moment you wake up until the moment you go to bed, all the different times that you, you know, come into contact with glass. It's just amazing. And so some, maybe some, some people just take glass, um, you know, as uh, you know, they, they don't think of all these unique applications and they just take it for granted. And, and maybe our industry, um, can create, you know, it's interesting that you say, how can we maybe be recognized for all this value that we're creating? You know, if you think back to that campaign that the milk industry mm -hmm. provided, uh, yeah. you know, several years ago, got milk and everybody had the little white mustache, but, you know, everybody's drinking milk, but not really recognizing the value that milk provides. So I don't know how we as an industry can kind of recognize, be recognized for the tremendous value that we create. But some people are on the marketing side are really doing fantastic jobs. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and we as an industry do a tremendous job in creating these values, but we're not necessarily recognized for it. Yeah, and uh, and we're going to talk about because a couple of your people do a wonderful job of of elevating the industry, and we'll talk about that in a second. And I think uh, that really helps. But uh, you know, let's talk about though. You know, the, the the some of the exciting products that you have. Uh, you know, I saw them in Germany with you. You know, again, outside the box thinking, which I I don't think people realize. Uh, you know that that we as an industry do, and also from what you as a company, uh, you know, NSG Pilkington has always been on the cutting edge from you know from, from day one and continues to be. Uh, what were some of those products that you were most proud of showing in Germany? Yeah. Okay, well, we um we have some really clever people in our organization, some very talented individuals, super yeah. bright people um throughout the organization and um you know several of the things that we were showing over there at glass tech um you know one of the lines of products that we have is a uh, it's a product or what we call our tech glass transparent electrically conductive glass and and it acts as a tco uh transparent conductive oxide for use in a number of different applications or it can be used in you know various other things such as like heated glass um, electrochromics, it's it's used in uh, the solar industry, things yeah. like that. So if you think about um, going into a um, supermarket and buying ice cream or or beer in the freezer or whatever uh, or the cooler, um, you know, when I was a little kid and you'd open up that refrigeration door, the uh, glass would get all kind con you know, condensation on the on the cold surface there. So this this tech glass is. It's a, uh, a product that we can um, drive a current across the glass and, and raise the glass temperature slightly above the dew point so that when you open up that refrigeration unit glass door, you know, getting your ice cream or whatever, you don't have the condensation problem that, that you had, uh, you know, prior to this application. And, and I think now as we're moving, you know, as, as society is moving towards this use of renewable energy, Certainly, um, photovoltaics is uh, growing, you know, by leaps and bounds, and and so our glass is used as a TCO, transparent conductive oxide, in in inside the uh, photovoltaic module to harvest the um, electricity that's yeah. that's uh, created by the absorption of the semiconductor materials of the you know sun's energy. So you have to create a current, and and our glass is used literally as a flat transparent wire to harvest the energy um, out of those photovoltaic units. Or conversely, we can push current into it, you know, like I said, about heated glass or electrochromics or, you know, various different other types of applications. I think with the um, renewable um, energy, um, you know, increasing year on year, 
the um, the applications for heated glass, I think, will will continue to grow. And um, you know, if you think here, I live in Toledo. It gets cold. It's um, so I'm wearing a sweater. It's, yeah. And we're approaching winter. You go to a, a restaurant. People don't want to sit next to the window because you know you get the the cold you know draft, which is really your body losing heat from you know a warmer body emitting energy toward towards the cooler glass you feel you know, like this this draft well if you could create um heated windows which we've supplied um to a number of restaurants and other applications so you could elevate that that glass temperature so that it becomes a little like a little radiator mm. and makes it a little bit comfortable for patrons um to be sitting next to the window in the winter time yeah um everybody wants to you know be outside or by the window in the summertime but few people want to be by the window in the window winter time and there are a number of different other applications so you know we're, we're doing things like that um where uh, we have this one application where again using our tech glass as a flat transparent wire we can literally create similar to like a uh, a computer chip um some you know infrastructure on the surface of the glass yeah. to drive energy to certain points on that glass so if you wanted to you could have a flat wall of glass um that you see a lot of times now in office buildings right and instead of having to ro uh, run the wire you know cabling um you know through various different points you could literally you know, plug your cell phone into the glass and, you know, charge it without, you know, having, without seeing any glass or, you know, in the instance at, at Glass Tech, we actually had a little stereo system where the receiver was picking up the signal and then driving the, um, you know, the energy out to the speakers yep. using our flat transparent wire as the uh, as the glass structure without any you know visible cabling and and so you know very unique things like that and or think about your your you know glass tabletop you could have a you know a glass desk and not have to you know run wiring to drive your your lighting system or you know again you could plug in your computer or plug in your cell phone or whatever so you know some very unique applications using our tech product as a flat transparent wire it truly was awesome to see and uh in in so much there and again i i like the way it was outside the box and i told you that there it was like wow okay this is this is something here that you guys have taken a product you know and you went and you 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 fleshed it out further and uh it was yeah. really really impressive and i think it's going to continue to grow because that's the world we're in we're in a wireless sort of world and 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 glass now can play a big role in that which is exciting so kudos to you and your team yeah, thanks, Max. I appreciate that. So, so again, I'm with Steve Widener. It's our year-end influencer podcast from The Fabricator. He's from NSG Pilkington, president and head of architectural and solar glass of North America. Uh, again, uh, NSG and NSG Pilkington, classic uh, names and important company <laughs> in our world. I've got one heavy question, and then I move into some fun questions, and then we, okay. we wrap up. So the heavy question is the one that probably people are yelling at their their phone or whatever is ask him about glass availability, ask him about the supply chain, what's going on there, the challenges oh. there, because that's always the question I get is what's, what's glass like? And, and, and it's an adventure, right? I mean, it's, it, it, it th thank goodness that, as you mentioned earlier, that the floats now last 18 to 20 years in some cases, because right. if they were only lasting six to eight years, we'd be in, we'd be in a little bit we'd of be hot, in a world of hurt. A hot, hot, hot place right now. So talk a little bit about the adventure and the challenges of the supply chain right now. Yeah, well, well, I think with COVID, it uh, the supply chains for every product yes. and every industry were certainly affected, and and what a nightmare! Nightmare the last couple of years have been. Hopefully, we're 
you know, on the back side of it. Yes. And uh, certainly we don't want anybody to, you know, uh, die or, you know, feel bad or, you know, get sick. But uh, now that we're kind of popping out what hopefully is on the back end of the COVID, but COVID really, you know, for our industry was uh, just in the last year alone was, was absolutely crazy. You know, you had the border lockdowns between um, the U.S. and Canada. Yes. So for our Canadian customers trying to get glass across the border was an absolute nightmare there the requirements that the truck drivers had to have you know testing and proof and then the queues at the border crossing of the trucks uh, you hours. Know, for hours and hours yeah. and hours it was yes. an absolute disaster and, and max you know that living up in the detroit area yep. you know the border crossings were just a, a nightmare yep um trying to find people yeah. Um, everyone I talked to, not just in our industry, but trying to find employees, you know, we're at full employment here in North America. It's uh, very, very challenging, very, very difficult to find new employees into the, um, into our industry, into any industry. Yeah. Um, you know, driver availability, truck availability, um, container availability, port uh, congestion last year. All these things were just absolutely crazy um, and, and had a dramatic effect on the availability and delivery of, of glass. Um, we're seeing the world loosen up a little bit right now. Okay. Um, there's a little bit of product starting to, you know, creep back in from um, from Asia. You know, the container costs that we saw that pre-pandemic were only a couple thousand dollars and then spiked up to, you know, close to $20,000 to get yeah. a container from China into the West Coast. You know, now they're back down to maybe four thousand dollars. Although, you know, I didn't, I didn't see what's happening now with the uh, increased lockdowns over in China because right. of their COVID spike that's occurring right now. So, um, the one, the one concern that I do have, Max, and uh, I think I've talked to you about this, and I've certainly talked to many other people here in North America, where we're not really seeing a lot of new float construction, right? And, and that certainly has impacted the availability and supply of glass, particularly here in, in the North American market. So if you think that we have, you know, close to 40 float lines operating, when I say North America, that's Mexico, um, U.S., we, we don't have any anymore in, in, in Canada. Um, but we really haven't seen, you know, float construction since NSG built the, uh, the line dedicated 100% to solar two years ago in, in Lucky, Ohio, just about 15 miles from yep. where I, I now sit. But the, um, the, the financial outlook, the business cases still don't really uh, justify um, spending a lot of money to build new floats in, in North America. I, yep. I know that, uh, and I won't, you know, because of antitrust concern, I'm not <laughs> going to say anything. The lawyers lawyers would run in here and arrest me or <laughs> you know, squirrel me away. And I'm still at age 64, too young to go to jail. So there's some things that I can't comment on. But um, I, I do see that uh, as we move into next year, if you think that, you know, this year um, glass was tight in the summertime. Yeah. Um, and it's maybe we're seeing a little bit of softening in the uh, in the residential new construction, a little right. bit of softening in the RV industry. But the automotive industry that's had tremendous pent up demand has been affected by the computer chip shortage and yes. other auto parts shortages. So we're really not running at capacity on the automotive side, fortunately, because had automotive the automotive industry 
been as strong as we had seen pre-pandemic. Boy, you talk about tight glass supply. It would have been really disastrous yeah. uh, this past year. So we're starting to see the automotive maybe come back a little bit, which is absorbing maybe some of the downside that we'll be seeing in, in the residential side. So I think that as we look into 2024, maybe um, like the Goldilocks scenario, you know, still the same as what we saw in 23. But, you know, with some tightness in various different spots, and in particular, I see a clear glass shortage um, kind of developing here in North America because, um, let's face it, it's the purest of commodity products, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and everyone's yeah. trying to move up that value chain, um, you know, trying to produce more coatings or more of it, more quote-unquote value-added products, and, and letting the um, clear glass supply kind of shrink, shrink, shrink. Well, if you think about IGUs, most IGUs, you know, you have a, a coating on one light and a clear on the other light. Well, you know, the clear matches. So, um, you know, I, I just sense uh, that I see this uh, clear glass tightness developing for the next several years until we kind of get that capacity situation ironed out in the North America market. And then also, Max, you know, from a from a European perspective, the energy costs over there yes. have dramatically yeah. affected the industry. So we're really not seeing imports from, from Europe into the North America market. And um, so, you know, the world used to be awash. There was all this moving, all these moving pieces. The pieces aren't moving as efficiently as they were pre-pandemic. So, right. um, you know, I just advise our customers, you know, take a little bit longer time horizon when you're looking at your, you know, glass demand picture and don't expect the glass to show up, you know, tomorrow where we were able to do that uh, in, you know, pre-pandemic, maybe look out a little bit farther and try to plan ahead a little bit more efficiently than, than you had in the past. Good advice. So it's going to be challenging. And I, I don't think the labor situation certainly isn't no. improving. No, it's not um, going to get better. No. All, yeah. I don't see it getting better. So it's, uh, that's why uh, I'm looking at young guys such as yourselves and the people I have on my team for to try to figure out all the good solutions to uh, keep the keep the ball rolling. Yeah, you're you're doing you're you're doing all the right things. So we so good answer, and I thank you for that because I know that's uh you know you get asked it a lot, and I, I think it was good perspective that for people to understand. And it all comes about planning and communication. Uh, you know, you have to do that more than ever these days, and I, I stress that all the time in my blogs. So, so a couple yes, of fun questions. Uh, you know, we've got a few things before we wrap up. I know you're busy, but I, I have to ask because one one thing about you and I, you know, we talk about sports when we we get together because we both, you know, have that Pittsburgh connection, the Penguins and the Steelers. But I'm curious, what is the most memorable sporting event you ever attended? Because I know you've been to a couple uh, along oh, yeah. the way. Curious, what yeah. which one stands out for you? Yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of turn it around, Max, uh. and I'm gonna say instead of attended. I'll say participated in. Oh, okay. Uh, so years ago, um, it's hard to imagine, but there's a there's an ex-marathoner in this body here, and ex-marathon runner. And uh, so probably the most memorable memorable event was the uh, uh, 1991 New York City Marathon that I, wow. ran. I ran a couple of marathons, and uh, to me that was just that was a fantastic experience. Um, you know, coming off the uh, the bridge um uh, onto uh what is it first street or second street there the new yorkers will correct me and uh you know having literally the hundreds of thousands of people 
you know, lining the street and cheering and, and uh, things like that. No, that was, you know, before my That's four awesome. knee operations. Uh, yes. Max. So I don't, I don't run anymore. I, I was training for a marathon at one time and slipped and fell on the ice and had a really uh, severe uh, right leg uh, issue. But, um, you know, but that was, that was quite, but I've been to the masters. I've been to the, haven't been to the super bowl. Okay. Um, been to the final four NCAA a couple of times, the, nice. uh, you know, the, the Stanley cups and things like that. Okay. But, uh, you're I, right. You and I share a passion for sports. We, we do. And I, I love that answer. And I, I admire anybody that can run a marathon because that, that is, that's a test. That's an ultimate test. That's 26.2 miles. And that's a yeah. long time out there in your thoughts. And it's that point two at the end that kills you. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can imagine. I can imagine. I full credit there. I, I, and I forgot, I forgot, you know, I don't know why they put that point two on the end. What it is the point of that? Right. Problems. Yeah. What is the point of that? I agree. And and so most of my guests, I only asked the one phone question, but for you, especially because this is a special year ender, you get two. And, and the one thing oh, okay. I always tell people about is I call it six degrees of Steve Widener. I feel like you name a, a star uh, in Hollywood or an athlete, somehow or another, we could connect it to you. You know, you 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 oh. have all you've you've run into so many people in your past, and and it was funny because you and I went to a hockey game with my son years ago, yeah. and he still to this day yeah. talks about Mr. Widener knows everybody. <laughs> he knows everybody. So I'm curious, what what's yeah. the best celebrity interaction you ever had? Because you've run into a few in your past. Yeah, that was fun with Zach at the hockey game. By the Thank way. You. Um, I, I have several and I have run into a lot of people. It's great. Over the years. Um, I'll just throw a couple names out. So uh, I'm flying out of Dallas one time and, uh, and because I fly a lot, I get kicked up to first class quite a bit. And yep. um, so I, I get into my seat and um, Erica Laniac, uh from Baywatch happens to sit down next to me. Um, she had nothing to do with me. I mean, she didn't <laughs> want to look at me. She, so that was fine. I just took a nap and, and and took the flight but uh you're a pittsburgh guy so you'll get yep. a, you'll get a kick out of this one so i'm getting on a flight to uh to new york and again i was you know kicked up front and uh so there's a there's a guy in front of me he's not much taller than i am but he's you know big broad-shouldered guy and bald head and um and i recognize him and uh you know me i'm i'm not real bashful so yep. uh i tap him on the shoulder and uh he he turns around i say hey uh who'd you play for? I can't quite, you know, picture him. And he holds up his fist like this. So I go, champ. And uh, he was Michael Moore, the three-time yes. heavyweight champion of the world. From Manesson, so, PA. You know, yes. Yeah. Yeah. From right. From just outside of Pittsburgh. Yep. And so that was, that was cool. He, he gets on the, uh, the flight and, and he happens to sit across the aisle from me. So, you know, I thought, okay, that was enough. So I sit down and I, I open up my paper and I start reading. He reaches across and he, taps me on the on the thigh well okay i'm not gonna you know mess with this guy so i put the paper away and for about 30 minutes we we talked about you know growing up uh in the pit, greater pittsburgh area and nice all of his fights he had told me he'd like 20 some operations from you know all these you know shoulders knees wrists and things like that so i thought that was fabulous and then um you know i know you're you're a pittsburgh guy so i'll, I'll tell you this one so i was out at a bec and in Vegas a few yep. years ago, and I'm having dinner with some some customers, and and uh, where I was positioned, the uh, the door there was like a little private dining room. They would the waiter would come in and, and take drinks in and food, and then I, as they opened it up, I could see 
Jerome Bettis was in there, the, the bus. bus. Yes. It was in an ex Pittsburgh Steeler. So, you know, dinner goes on and we're still carrying on. Well, all of a sudden these people start filing out. And so Jerome comes out and I go from my seat, I go, boss. <laughs> and he comes over to the table. I stand up. He, we put our arms around each other. Go, I'm from Pittsburgh. You know, love you, man. And he's like, okay, hey, let's take some pictures <laughs> and stuff. I so, love it. You know, I thought that was pretty cool. And then, Max, one one final one. Yep. I was with my wife, and uh, we were in uh, the Hyatt in in Hamburg, Germany, and uh, and and so we uh, I'm schlepping the bags, you know, out of the out of the cab, and we're um, right at the front door, and there are a bunch of like photographers there. So I say to my wife, Karen, you've met Karen, and mm-hmm. um, my wife has FOMO, fear of missing out. And I, I love her to death. You know, Karen's a wonderful, wonderful woman. So Karen goes, well, I'm going to try to figure out who's standing here. Well, so I go into the check-in and there are a bunch of security guards there okay. and they have these badges on and they've got like a big red tongue on them. Okay. What's the Rolling Stones security detail, wow. right? Wow. So Karen comes running. She goes, hey, you, you'll never guess who's standing here. I said, the Stones are standing here. So... She said, how'd you figure that out? And I'm at the security guards, look at the badges. And so anyway, we go up and we happen to been been staying at the executive lounge way up, executive floor way up at the top. So we take the elevator up and, and you can't make a left because there are a bunch of these big security guards uh-huh. here. And the stones were obviously staying on the same floor of our hotel. Yeah. And um, they wouldn't let us to the left. Our room was to the right anyway. So we go to, um, you know, into our room. And the next morning we go down to the, uh, you know, little executive, you know, breakfast area. Yeah. And it's not a big room. And uh, I go in, we get our, you know, breakfast and we're sitting down and this guy comes and comes in and gets his, you know, juices and stuff. And literally at the next table over, puts his juices down and he goes back over for his eggs or whatever. And as he's putting his, you know, food down, literally the next table over, not even like three <laughs> feet away, two feet away. And he opposed for me. So like, I'm looking at him, he's looking at me. I just nod my head. He nods his head. And so he goes to get his, you know, fruit and eggs and whatever. And, and my wife Karen goes, who is that? Who is that? And and it was Charlie Watts, the, nice. uh, the drummer. drummer. The, the yep. Stones. And he, Karen goes, well, I'm going to get his autograph when he sits back down. I'm like, Karen, you know, it's, it's an, and he's, this guy, he's dressed. He's got a bit, you know, suit on, which I didn't know at the time, but Charlie must have always, you know, dressed to the nines. Yeah. And at breakfast there, here I'm like a slob, you know, an American <laughs> slob over in Hamburg, and he's dressed to the nines. And I said, Karen, you know, just let the guy, you know, have a breakfast in peace. So he sits down, he looks over and nods his head to my wife. I love she's it. like, Charlie Watts. But uh, yeah, so I've I've run into a lot of different, on the planes especially. So, Ab- um, absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. I, I And again, I always feel like, and, and I know, I know you being, <laughs> being, being humble as you are, you've left a few out just because you, 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 uh, you know, respect the privacy of some of the people you run into. So I love it. Very cool. <laughs> Very cool. Well, before we wrap up again, Steve Widener of NSG Pilkington, uh, he's with me year end podcast here. I'm from the fabricator. I, I want to talk a little bit about your team uh, to give them some, some credits and some, some props. Uh, Kyle Sword, uh, Dr. Kayla Natividad, uh, tremendous people, uh, just awesome. They're industry supporters, cheerleaders, and they're brilliant. They're, I mean, and I know you have yeah. many, many others. I, I'm not, you know, I could sit here for an hour and name them all, but those two uh, obviously come to come to mind. They care. I, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, they bleed for this industry, which really impresses me. Uh, and and kudos to you. 
uh, you know, for, for building that up. Uh, how do we, how do we, how did you do it? And how do we attract more folks like that? Yeah. And, and you're hitting on a topic I think is really pertinent, um, not just for my company, but the industry in general. Um, how do we attract, hire and retain really talented, passionate people? Yeah. Um, who, who can create the value so that we as an industry can be recognized, um, you know, beyond just ourselves, right? If you think about it, we're a relatively small industry. Um, our industry might not be, you know, the sexiest industry out there. You know, a lot of the kids coming out of um, college, you know, they want to be investment bankers or they want to go out to um, right. Silicon Valley and, you know, work for, for, you know, one of the, you know, uh, social media companies or, you know, some of these new cutting edge uh you know, things like, like, like that. Um, but you, you're right, Kyle, Kayla, and I've got a number of other people. I won't mention any names because uh, invariably I'll, I'll leave someone out and then they'll right. be disappointed. But I've been very fortunate to um, have a, a number of very talented, very passionate, very creative people. And, and really what we try to do here, Max, is, um, well, you know, when I, when I see somebody who's talented, uh, passionate, and very intelligent, I try to hire them. Um, yeah. I keep a, a stack of business cards in my car and with me at all times. And if I run into people, I'm saying, hey, give us a call you know, because it's so hard uh, to find people out there right now. Yeah. And then I think, you know, Max, the key is when you hire talented, uh, passionate, creative people, stay the hell out of their way. You know, uh, kind of set the tone, set the direction, um, but don't micromanage them. You know, they're, they're clever people. They figure things out. Um, and, and one of the things that I think you touched on at Tumex here in the last couple of years, we're trying to um, be a little bit more uh, responsive to the glass industry in the sense that we're trying to give back to the glass yeah. industry. Yeah. Um, you know, be a little bit more visible, uh, have a have a greater presence. Um, trying to be uh, better for the communities that we're involved in instead of it being about me um, or, you know or uh, you know about the individual we're trying to be about us you know the, yeah. the we trying to be about the community uh, be corporate citizens and and Kayla and Kyle and a number of the other people that we have here you know passion is is very very important um, we don't want just smart people we, we want people who you know want to work want to make a difference um, and, and want to change the world that, that we live in, make the world a little bit better place when uh, when we leave from from when we came onto this planet. So yeah, that's what we're trying to. Yeah, yeah thanks for recognizing that, Max. I really appreciate that. No, I, I, absolutely, they, and they they're just uh, super super people. So kudos and congrats. And so, uh, well, yeah. wrapping up, uh, last question. Uh, you know, you mentioned a little earlier about uh, you know on the glass availability glass availability standpoint, but. Uh, How's 2023 and 2024 looking for you and the team over there? Yeah, um, very, very good. We're, you know, we're having good years. And I good. think 2024, I'm cautiously optimistic. There's some storm clouds on the horizon. We're seeing interest rates, you know, increase uh, the issues in, in uh, Europe that we talked about. Right. You know, the global perspective, there's some uh, uh, geopolitical events that unfortunately are, you know, going on around the world. It's a shame that, you know, uh, I, you know, I travel all around the world uh, you know, quite a bit. Everybody always seems to get along and then governments get in the way. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know why we um, just, you know, can't all get along and uh, live our lives, you know, treat others with dignity and respect, yeah. you know, treat the environment um, as good corporate citizens, um, you know, with the respect, you know, the, the globe with respect, um, but certainly to treat each, each uh, uh, of us 
um, with dignity and respect and try to be treated uh, the way we treat others, you know, try to treat others the way we, we want to be treated. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, good. I, I'm excited for the future with you guys and you continuing to lead the way uh, as you always have. And uh, very gr- grateful for you taking this time uh, with me today to uh, be on the podcast. Thank you so much. Max, it's always an honor and a pleasure to, to be with you. And uh, I hope you and Beth and uh, Zach and Natalie have a wonderful Thanksgiving with your family and friends. And uh, thank you for your help and support over the years. It's nice to see you again, my friend. We got to do another hockey game one of these days, buddy. Absolutely, we will. And uh, best to you and your family. Happy holidays, happy and healthy uh, 2023 to you and everybody in your family and also at uh, at the company, NSG Pilkington, everybody there. It's just uh, you guys deserve the best. Okay, thanks, Max. All right, that that wraps things up for uh, the the year uh, for uh, for from the Fabricator podcast. We'll see you in January. Thank you everyone for listening, and uh, thank you Steve once again. And we will see you all in twenty twenty three.